we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Amen. Man, last week, didn't we have a good time? Man, it was exciting. We got to baptize 10 people last week, and that was really exciting. And I think I got as wet as the people that were in the tank. So, <laughs> But that's okay. I dried fast. The only problem is, it didn't, when after I got wet, I didn't shrink. <laughs> Your clothes shrink when they get wet, but I didn't. So, oh, well. If it did, everybody would be wanting up here getting dunked, wouldn't you? Everybody would want to get baptized. I want to shrink. I want to shrink. So. But anyway, we had a good time. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. We learned a lot, learned what things not to do at a baptismal because it was our first time with our, with our new tank and our new setup and, and situation. But we had a good time trying to figure it out, didn't we? We really had a good time. We had laughed a lot and we had a good time. So next time it may, it'll probably, no, it won't either. I'm not going to say it's going to run smoother because it may not. <laughs> next time the water may be too cold instead of too hot. So, but anyway, we had a good time, and I, I was just thankful for that, and it was just such a blessing. We, we, for those that don't know, I gave uh, baptismal cer- uh, certificates to everybody that was baptized, or anyway, I gave them to their parents, and uh, well, along with a DVD copy of the baptism part of the service, so they can have it for a kind of a memory type thing. I wish that I had one when I got baptized, but th- we, have, we have not nicer technology now than they did back then. I know, my aging generation show, and I know it's okay, though, it's okay. But I'm thankful for, for everyone that, that made that confession of faith because it's an exciting time and it's exciting for them because it's the change in their life. Their life's different. And that's why he's excited. Not just so I can say, hey, we baptized 10 people. It isn't the number that matters. It's a matter that those are the number of people that entered the kingdom of God. And that's exciting to me because there's 10 that the devil lost, lost their hold on. And I'm thankful for that. And we just pray that God... and this whole congregation, because they're, they're part of us. And we need to remember them in prayer. We need to ask God to protect them and guide them, because a lot of kids were baptized. And they've got a, their whole lives ahead of them if the Lord tarries. So we want to pray for them, that, that God will keep them strong. So this morning, if you want to turn in the uh, fourth chapter of the book of Matthew, that's we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> and last week, it was such an exciting baptism time, I thought I'd just continue on to what happened after the baptism. We talked about Jesus getting baptized and and all the excitement that was involved in his baptism, how the heavens opened and the dove flew down and and heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. That was exciting for everybody who was at that baptism service. I'll bet it was a little more exciting than we were, but, you know, I'll take what we had. But Jesus was thankful to hear his father's voice telling him he was pleased with him. And that's a lesson for us as parents. Our kids need to hear that we're pleased with them. Because if we don't tell them how, that we're proud of them, if we don't praise them, if we don't lift them up and bol- bolster up their, their morale and who they are, then guess what? The devil will. The devil will do it. And a lot of times the, the kids go running after a different voice because they want to feel good about themselves. And Satan does make you feel good about yourself for a time, doesn't he? For a time. If they showed people the effects of drugs down the road and all these heroin addicts and all these alcoholics and things at the, end of their, at the end of the road when they're laying in the gutter and they're throwing up all over themselves and all these other kind of things at the beginning, how many people would stay away from that? But see, the devil doesn't do that. He shows you all the good things, all the fun that you're going to have and all the things that's going to make you feel better about yourself. That's what he shows us. 
And that's why we as parents and we as people in general need to boost each other up. We need to lift each other up, not only in prayer, but to tell everybody how much we appreciate what they do. Because our kids need that. So, in the fourth verse, excuse me, the first verse of the fourth chapter. And this happened right after Jesus was a high point for Jesus. This was the first thing. His baptism was the, his statement to everyone that oh, my life is different. Now I'm going on a mission. I'm doing something that I hadn't done before. And it was kind of a transition time. So it was a high point in his life. And chapter 4 happens right on the heels of this high point in our life, or in his life. And verse 1 says, then, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now I've been through some wilderness times in my life, haven't you? I don't like him. And it said he was led by the Spirit. Now, the word there, did led, we just kind of feel like, you know, you're leading a dog on a leash and it's not a big deal. But it was more like a, a pushing, something that was just with great emphasis that was forcing him into a position, into something that, that he maybe didn't want to go. But it was something he needed to do. There was a burden on his heart or something that drew him to there. And so he was, the Spirit was just forcing him through his spirit to go into the wilderness Right after his high, right after the, one of the greatest things that happened in his life, hearing his father's voice, this happened. And that's sometimes what happens to us, too, isn't it? Right after a high, then we got to go through a low. Well, Jesus was led into the wilderness. And this place that, that, that this happened, the mountain of temptation or wherever you want to call it, I've been there, I've seen it, and it is desolate. It, you couldn't even grow a rock there. I mean, that thing's barren, nothing grows there. And yet there's something there now because they build a monastery up on top of the mountain where the monks and things like that, they go to whatever they do up there. But you can see that up there. But that's all that's up there. If it wasn't for that, there'd be nothing there. It's not some place you'd want to live. You can probably buy the land pretty cheap because it's totally worthless because it's so desolate. And that's the place that, that Jesus was compelled to go. And sometimes we're compelled into the wilderness, into those dry places in our life. We're compelled to be there. We don't like it. We don't want to be there. I'd rather be at the oasis in the desert than I would in the wilderness. It's a lot nicer place to be. And I'm sure Jesus would prefer that. But he had to do this. He had to go there and he had to be tempted of the devil because he had to start out his ministry. And when you become Christians, guess what happens? The devil's right there. He's right there. As soon as you get through this high and you feel so good about things, then all of a sudden the devil shows up. And that's what happened to Christ. And this verse tells us that if we have any question about whether after we get saved we're not going to have any problems, this verse answers that question. If Jesus had to go through a time who he was, then we're not going to escape. We're going to have some hard times in our life. We're going to go through some wilderness experiences, whether we like it or not. So don't be surprised when you enter there because, hey, if Jesus had to go to the desert or the wilderness, we're going to end up there sometime in our life too. Uh, verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Now, he went there for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted of the devil. Now, I don't know what happened during this period of time. I don't know what happened during those 40 days. All we see, all the, the window that we see into this time was right at the end of it. I don't know what happened. I don't know what kind of temptations Christ had to go through during that period of time. I don't know because it doesn't tell us. But whatever we can imagine, it probably happened. <laughs> but the amazing thing about this 40 days in the wilderness of him fasting was that 
He wasn't bothered by hunger. He wasn't bothered by a lot of things in his life until the fast was over. He wasn't bothered by it before there because it says, and after the 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungered. So during this period of time, whatever it was that he was going through, it didn't involve him being hungry, didn't involve him being thirsty, evidently, or anything like that. It didn't bother him at all physically because it says after it was over, then he was hunger. And I know that a lot of times we shy away from fasting because we think, oh, man, all I'm going to do is suffer. I'm going to have a hard time. I'm not going to fast. I hate fasting, and I do hate fasting. I like food too much. But see, we associate fasting with food. And nowhere here does it say that he just fasted food. For all we know, he could have some drink. He could have certain things. Maybe fasted certain foods. I have no idea. But whatever it was, he was afterwards he was hungry. And sometimes when we fast and we set aside that time for God and we spend that time seeking God, then we're not going to have God's going to see to it. We don't have to worry about the other things that are happening. It's afterwards when we start coming down from that fast or we start leaving the presence of God or whatever it is, then we get hungry. So I have that promise in here that says that during that period of time, it didn't bother him that he was hungry. He hadn't had anything to eat. Because God sustained him. God kept him, kept him alive. Because you can't live without 40 days without, without food and water, generally speaking, unless you're big, you know, got all this extra weight to get it, you know, off of you or whatever. I could probably survive 40 days without food. And get in and be a size five. <laughs> or whatever it is. So, but with... When we give our time to God and we do these kind of things, we need to let God sustain us. And we see that that is what Jesus did because this was his first fast. And it was right after a victory, not a defeat. See, the reason we have a lot of hard time fasting sometimes is because we're doing it after we've already been defeated. So we're already down in the dumps. We're already living in the, walking in the oh me's, oh my's, oh man, I messed up. Oh, I did this. I guess I'll fast. Well, the best time to fast maybe is after a victory. And not after a defeat. You think? <laughs> Might be easier to fast after a victory and prepare yourself for the temptation. Prepare yourself for things. Because if you're doing it after a defeat, then sometimes we've got the oh me so bad and we're thinking about how bad our life is and how much that we failed that we can't even fast. All we're doing are thinking about food. But if we draw close to God and the victories, hey, man, isn't it easy to praise God when things are great? Oh, man, I just love it. I just got that raise that I've been waiting for. Or Dwayne just came back, and I'm excited about them coming back. I'm excited about that. It's really easy to say, thank you, Jesus. It's easy to do, isn't it? But on those times when maybe I lost my job, pal, <laughs> it's harder to praise God on those times. It's harder. And it's harder to do the things that we know we need to do. So why not change a little bit of our habit instead of trying to fast and try fasting anyway? I mean, it, we need to get closer to God. That, that's every time of our life. I'm not saying you don't do that. But I'm talking about the fasting part, <laughs> the doing without food and doing without whatever it is. And sometimes we need to realize that fasting isn't just fasting food. As Christians, we're supposed to fast sin. In case you didn't know that, we're supposed to fast sin. Now, sin for me, it may be different than what sin is for you because, you know, there's some things that I can't do that maybe you could get by with. I don't know. I don't want to get by with anything. I want to, God tells you gray, black, or white. That's what I'd like. But sometimes in the gray areas, there are. And maybe if I get a gray area, it'd be a sin for me. So we need to fast sin, whatever it is. And God tells us a lot about what sin is. So we have to know that everything he doesn't like, we need to quit doing. 
We need to fast sin. And it's when I got, became a Christian, I said, God, I'm going to fast sin as best I can. So my life has changed. And I've been successful in a lot of things in my life by fasting certain things. And there's a lot of other things that we can fast. It'd be nice if we as Christians would fast TV. Wow, what a concept. I decided to do that at night before I go to bed. And I said, that hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, instead of watching TV before I go to bed, I pray. <laughs> and that helps you. So now I'm not sitting there wondering what, who killed what, who did what to who, and, and how they dissected whatever it is going through my head and going through my mind. Now I'm thinking, praise the Lord. Lord, I lift your name on high. So those kind of things are going through my thoughts instead of Jay Leno's monologue. <laughs> and so maybe we need to fast some TV to be able to Spend time with God. And the secret about fasting, it isn't so we just fast so we can walk around like the Pharisees did and say, oh, I'm fasting today. I'm so hungry. I'm fasting. Oh, why are you fasting? Oh, I just had a fast today so I can talk to God. To me, when we fast like that, it's like a kid throwing their self down on the ground and kicking and screaming trying to get their own way. Isn't it? That's what it is. God, I'm fasting. Give me what I want. Can't you see I'm doing that food? God just didn't lose any weight. Yeah, but I'm doing without food. <laughs> but when we do fasting the way that God wants us to do fast, do fast, and that's during the time, all right, we're fasting food. During the time that you spend eating, spend it with God. Don't sit there at the dinner table and think, oh, I wish I wasn't fasting. I didn't know he was having a strawberry shortcake today. Man, I picked a bad day. Oh, on second thought, I'm not going to fast dessert. I'm just fasting the main course. I'm going to have dessert. <laughs> But if you don't sit at the table and you're not there and you're talking to God, then you're not so much worried about the food that you're not eating. Isn't that true? And if you're fasting TV, do pray to God during that period of time or read your Bible or doing different things because fasting in itself, it isn't the fasting. God wants us to fast because during those times, he wants us to spend more time with him. And the more time we spend with him, then the easier, the more strength we have to be able to, to resist temptation. And, of course, temptation, <clears throat> I can resist anything but temptation. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> so, so we need to change our habits. Uh, verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou beat the Son of God, command that these stones be made of bread. Be made bread. Now, I don't think the devil's ever going to tempt me to turn, or turn stones into bread. I don't think so. No, yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's true. That's true. Amen. Can't say anything. Truth, truth. <laughs> yeah, he has to go out there and get the, the chisel and that to cut it. Because, see, we have this agreement. If I make it, he has to eat it. <laughs> and, oh, he really prays over the food in those days when he looks at that. <laughs> So I'm not going to be, that's all right, that's all right. I'm not going to be tempted to make stone into bread because the devil knows I can't do it. But he was using that as a temptation to Jesus because, number one, Jesus was hungry. And that's the first thing the devil does to us is attacks our weakness at our weakest point. That's why I say sometimes it's not good to fast during their weakest point in our life. But he, this was a weak point in his life. And he basically was saying, hey, Jesus, remember the children in the wilderness? You made manna for them. Why not make some for yourself? You did it before. Why not do it again? 
But I'm not ever going to be tempted to do things that I can't do. So if you're being tempted to do something that may seem off the wall to you, maybe the devil knows you can do it. Huh? (laughs) Because it'd be crazy for him to tempt me in something I can't do. That'd be stupid. And one thing the devil isn't is stupid. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows how to get us and how how to get to us. But he was saying, if thou be the Son of God, if you're the Son of God. How many times did people say, now if you were a Christian... If you were a Christian, you wouldn't do this. Or if you was a Christian, you'd give me money because I need it. Or if you was a Christian, you'd feed me because I'm hungry. Don't we hear those kind of things? See, the devil uses some of that stuff to try to get at us too. So we need to evaluate the circumstances. Is this God speaking or is this the devil speaking? Because we don't have to prove to anybody that we're a Christian. We can judge people by their fruits, but God's the only one who can see our heart. So I don't have to prove anything. To anybody. And Jesus didn't have to prove it either. Because he knew who he was. See we don't know who we are in Christ. If we know who we are in Christ. Then the devil can't uh, tempt us about our identity. He can't do it. Because we have to know who we are. But if we don't know who we are. Then he can tempt us with it. And try to get us to explain. And try to figure out. Well who are you anyway? I don't want to be a son of Sceva. I want to be a child of God. I want to be Paul or Peter. The sons of Sceva are the ones that the devil chased off when they tried to do what everyone other people were doing because they didn't have the goods. I want to have the goods. Now, it isn't sin to be tempted. A lot of people think, well, if, you weren't te- if you're tempted, it's because you're sin. Uh-uh. It isn't a sin to be tempted. But it is a sin to succumb to temptation. Like I've said many times, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. That's the reality of it. The devil can't read our mind. We already decided that this morning in Sunday school. The devil can't read our mind. Because if he could read the mind, then when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, he had to let his magicians understand it and interpret it. So we decided that this morning in Sunday school. So the devil can't read our mind. So we need to worry about that. But when the temptation comes into our mind and we start thinking these things, change the subject. That's what you do on your computer when a... Uh, When those pop-ups come up, what do you do? You delete it. And you look at whatever it is you want to look at. That's what we need to do with these minds here. We need to quit hitting, watching those things and stop reading the pop-ups and start deleting them before we start reading them. That's what we need to do. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus tells us how to respond to temptation. He uses the word of God in order to get through the temptation and to put the devil in his place. The problem that we have is we don't know what the word of God says. And if we don't know the word of God, how can we use it? We can't tell somebody something if we don't know it. If you go over to me and want to know how to, how to weld a particular thing like Freddie does, hey, I go up there, you light it, you and you burn a hole in it, then you fill that hole up. And then you burn another hole, you fill that one up. But that's the way you do the job. But he would know how to do it. And God tells us, hey, you need to study my word. Because in my word is the answer. There's no, everything we need to know basically is here. You want to learn how to combat the devil? Start telling him what Jesus said. Use the word. If you're hungry, say, hey, I'm not going to live by bread alone. God can, can sustain me. The children of Israel walked in the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes never wore out. I know a lot of women don't like to hear that because they want to buy shoes in their closets. Don't like, I don't want to be no children of Israel. They only had one pair of shoes. 
I like the 50 I have in my closet. I don't have that many shoes. Don't worry. <laughs> but God can do that. And he can sustain us and he can be our bread. So if we don't get to eat for whatever reason, then pray and God will make you sustain you. But we need to know what his word says in order to respond. I'm reminded of the story of this woman that uh, she had a problem buying dresses, buying clothes. She just loved to shop and was always buying stuff. Well, this put an put unnecessary burden, of course, on their finances. Because, you know, the, the husband, every time he goes, there's a, here's a credit card bill, new dress, new dress, new dress. So finally he set his wife down. And he started a huddle, honey. He says, we just don't have enough money to spend on all these clothes you buy. Now, you've got to quit doing this. She says, well, I can't help it. Oh, I can't help it. I just get tempted and I just yield. I can't help it. He says, well, this is what you got to do. Every time you go shopping and you're tempted to buy a dress, just say, get thee behind me, Satan. And she says, okay. Now, this worked for a while. I mean, it went on for a few months. But sooner, you know, one day the husband comes home and looks in the closet and there's this new dress. And man, he's, he's, he's really upset. And he goes down and he says, didn't we have this discussion? Didn't I tell you not to buy any more dresses because we can't afford it? And she says, yeah, I know, honey, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't help myself. It was more than I could handle. And he says, well, didn't you do what I told you to do? She says, well, honey, it was like this. I went into the store, and I didn't mean to buy anything. I just looked, and I was walking past the store, and oh, here was this beautiful dress there, and it was just the right color, and I love that color. You know how much I like red. Oh, it was my favorite color, and I looked so good in red. And I thought, well, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. But next thing I know, I'm in the store. And the next thing I know, I'm trying it on. I figure if I just try it on, it won't fit, and I'll look terrible in it. And they don't have to worry about it. And he said, but you know what, honey? I put that dress on, and I looked in the mirror, and oh, man, I'm telling you, I look so good. I look so spiffy. I look like I'd lost 10 pounds. And oh, when you see me in that dress, honey, you're going to be glad I bought the dress. And he said, well, honey, what, didn't I tell you not to, to tell him, get thee behind me, Satan? She said, yeah, I know, honey. He said, and I did. I sat there and I was on that dress and I had it on and I said, Satan, get thee behind me. And you know what happened? He got behind me and says, hey, it looks great from back here too. So I had to buy it. <laughs> and sometimes that's the way our temptations work. Looks good from back here too. Verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If thou beat the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The first temptation that Christ had was about his appetite, his food, things that are necessities of life. We need to eat. We need to have these things. The devil will attack us there if we let him. Now this uh, scripture tells us another thing. Because it says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Anybody that says Jesus didn't think he was God didn't read this scripture. Because he was telling him, you're not supposed to tempt God. Your Lord and God. And it also answers the question that Jesus knew who he was. Some people say that Jesus didn't know who he was in the time that he was born. He didn't have no memory of anything, and he didn't know what was going on, and he just fell into line like a sheep to slaughter. He didn't know anything. Well, that answers that question, too. He knew who he was. He didn't forget who he was when he was born here. And he said, it is written. We need to continue to say, it is written. 
And then it usually misquotes the Bible, doesn't it, Satan? Is that what he does? We need to realize that Satan knows the Bible better than we do. He does. But we have to know it. We have to be able to get through the things that he misquotes to understand that. And he was trying to tempt, basically he was tempting him to uh, show that he's God and by tempting God to, to protect him. Wasn't he? All right, if you're God, God's going to protect you because this is what the scripture says about you. God says, I'm going to take care of you and I'm, I'm going to get my angels out there to protect him unless you bump your foot. That's what it says. And sometimes we do the same things. We make a lot of dumb, stupid mistakes that we make and we do things that maybe we know that aren't, that's wrong that we shouldn't make and we make them anyway because we are tempting God to protect us. We tempt God to protect us. We tempt him to bail us out, don't we? There are a lot of things in my life that I've had made mistakes that I knew I shouldn't have done. Don't look at me like that. I know you've done the same thing. <laughs> and then we sit there and we, we pray and say, Oh, God, get me out of this mess. I spent all my money at, on Christmas and I, and I charged everything. And now the payments are due and I don't have any money for my, my house payment or my utilities. Or I went out partying or I did this and did this and I don't have any money now. Well, whose fault is it? We expect God to bail us out. Sometimes God will, but a lot of times he won't. So we can get, we got ourselves into the mess. We need to get ourselves out. And then when we do that, maybe we won't do it next time. We learn from the school of hard knocks. And I have a degree in that, plus another degree and another degree and another degree, whatever it is, a doctor and whatever it is after it. Because of hard school of hard knocks. Because I learn that way. I don't know why we do, but I have to learn the hard way. Verse 8. Again, the devil, devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of men and saith unto him, All these things I will give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship him. Now, I don't think that uh, Jesus actually, I mean, the devil actually picked Jesus up and took him over somewhere. I don't think that happened. I think he was leaving this mountain of desolation, and I think that the first time he was at the pinnacle, when he, he was in the city of uh, Jerusalem, and up on the pinnacle of the temple area, there is a very high pinnacle up there. That, and if, it, is, it is high because I've seen it. And it's way, it's over, oh, man, it's over 150 feet high to the ground to be able to look down. And I think at this point, he took him in and walked up to some place in the, in the city where you could look out and see all the things. Kind of like, you know, when we were teenagers and we up, wanted to go look for a nice place to, to neck. Is that what you still call it nowadays, necking? Is that what you call it now? <laughs> go up, look over the cities, and that's where, the, where your boyfriend runs out of gas. Remember those, remember those places? <laughs> well, that's kind of the, the, what he did with him. He took him up there where he could see the lights of the city, and he offered everything. All those lights can be yours. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, who are you to give that to me? I already own it. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, you don't have the authority to give it to anybody. Because he gained the authority when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. We lost our dominion in the garden. So Jesus had to come and regain our dominion for us, didn't he? And he hadn't died on the cross yet. So he didn't argue and say, hey, you can't give me that because it isn't mine. Because it's already mine. He didn't say that. And I think he would have if, if it would have been an issue. But it wasn't an issue at that time. So he looked up and said, anything that you want here, I'll give you. If you just worship me. And you don't have to do a lot. You can just kind of half bow. It's okay. Just kind of, you know, just give me a little bit of whatever. Just so I know that you're with me in this. And I'll give you all this. That's what he was telling him. He was basically uh, offering him the world. Because he thought that that's what every man wants was power 
and money. Isn't that what we all want, power and money? I'm reminded of this evangelist that came through uh, oh, years ago, and he used to always say, there's three things that scare me to death. Gold, glory, and girls. Only I'd have to say guys. <laughs> they scare me to death. And everybody laughs, but you know, it's the truth. If we was all a little more afraid of those three things, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today, would we? Girls, gold, and glory. Satisfy everything we want out of those three things. We need to, um, the world will be in a better shape, and so would our church. But Satan was telling him, hey, worship me and I'll make all your dreams come true. The American dream that we have now. Everybody is entitled to have, own a house. That was the American dream. But look at the mess that we're in because somebody decided that, that everybody had the right to buy a house whether they couldn't afford it or not. And that's why we're in the situation we're in is because somebody wanted to manipulate the economy. And I think there's a lot of manipulating to destroy our economy is what they were working on so to force it into a world order. But that's another, that's another sermon. But we need to, to understand that the government can't give us things like that because there's always a cost. So everyone they gave a house to, I'm paying for and you're paying for. But Satan said, hey, if you worship me, I'll give it all to you. Satan was offering him a shortcut, wasn't he? Hey, you don't have to go. You don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to do all this stuff. And I'm not sure he really understood the plan of salvation. But he was offering him a shortcut. You want to be worshipped? You want to have power and authority? Hey, come here. Worship me and I'll give it to you. You don't have to go through this life. You don't have to spend the rest of your life, whatever it is, and do everything to get what you want. I'm going to give it to you. Satan's still offering shortcuts, isn't he? He's offering a lot of them to our kids, to our young people. They're saying, hey, you don't have to get married to have sex. Isn't that what they're telling them? You don't have to work for a living. We have welfare. Obama's going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. A shortcut. You don't have to study God's word. All you got to do is get on the computer and look up the verse. And it'll lead you right to it. That's all you got to do. Just type in a word. You can find it. You don't have to waste your time studying God's word. It's such a waste when you could be doing something else. And you got all these things, all this technology that I've provided. You don't have to do it. A shortcut. You don't have to pay your tithes. Because if you don't pay your tithes, look, you can buy your new car. Wow, and you want a new car, don't you? Well, that money that you're spending on ties, you could buy a new car. A shortcut. I don't want anything that God doesn't want me to have. Because every time I try to get something God doesn't want me to have, it's not a blessing, it's a curse. How many times have we bought something? We went out and we, in an impulse, we went and bought a new car, and wow, it was so exciting to buy that new car. But by the time the first payment come due, we thought, wow, what did I do? i got to pay this thing for five years. i got to do this. Oh, man, what did I do to myself? Shortcuts. And the world's full of shortcuts. But there is no shortcut. There are no shortcuts in this world. And we got to realize that. So when one pops up and the devil tries to tempt you with a shortcut, just remember, sooner or later that shortcut's going to get you. Because the best things in life that we have are things that God has given us and God's helped us to, to work through and, and to gain them. Then we appreciate it more. These parents that give their kids everything that there is to give them, all these wealthy families, how many of their kids turn out very well? 
Not very many of them. A lot of rich people commit suicide. All these other kind of things because it isn't in things. I'd rather have God. The world says, give me, take away everything, but give me Jesus. That needs to be our prayer. And if that is our prayer, then all these other things the devil isn't going to be able to tempt us with. See, he couldn't tempt Jesus with this because he wasn't into money and power. If he wanted money and power, he already had that. He didn't need to come to earth to get power. He was all-powerful, and he didn't need to come here for that. But he came to get for, to redeem us. That was why he came. He had his mind focused on redeeming us, and that was all that he thought about. That's all that he came here for, and he knew his purpose. And if we as Christians know our purpose, then the devil can't te- tempt us to get off track, to be able to do the things that, that we know we shouldn't do. But we have to have it in our mind. We have to have our focus to be on God in order for us not to be tempted to be drawn away from God. Sure, we're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. But when I make the mistakes, then when the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts me of it, not condemns me, convicts me. There's a difference between condemning and convicting. Condemning is, is just, oh me, oh man, I'm no good, and I'm all these things, and we are no good when we look and we're in relationship to God's righteousness. But conviction is say, hey, you messed up over here. You need to repent of this. You need to get that out of your life. And when we do that, we feel good. That God, Thank you, God, for showing this to me. Now, if I make a mistake in my life, I want God to show it to me so I can get it out of there before it gets worse. Because we bury problems. If you have a financial problem in your, in, in your life, the last thing you need to do is borrow more money. Isn't it? Because it, you just get, you can't borrow yourself out of debt. You can't, in spite of what the government thinks right now. But we need to really keep our minds focused on what God wants us to do and on his purpose in our life. And when we do, then the devil won't be able to pull us away from God and he won't be able to tempt us in those kind of things when we're aware. But one day, one day there is going to be someone that's going to bow down to Satan when he makes the same offer to him. The Antichrist is going to come one day and he's going to fall down and he's going to worship Satan. And Satan is going to give him the world to rule and to reign. But of course... I don't believe we're going to be here. And I don't care. When, when he comes to take us home, they can have it. I'll put a sign on the thing so whoever opens this door first gets it. <laughs> put a sign on the building. Sorry, whoever wants to be, whatever. We're not here. We're in heaven. <laughs> they can have it. I won't care. But one day the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to fall down and worship Christ. I worship Lucifer. He's going to fall down and be obedient to him, and he is going to give him the kingdoms of this world. Whether we like it or not, doesn't matter we like it or not, it's going to happen because the Bible says it's going to happen. I just pray to God every day, don't let it happen till we're gone. And I say, God, send one more revival before you come so we can shake the trees and get everybody in. Then come. That's what I pray because I can't pray against the one world order. I can't pray against the one world government because the Bible says it's going to happen. So I can't pray against God. i got to pray with God and say, God, let it happen. But okay, let this happen first. Let a revival come. Let our loved ones be saved. Let the world have a great revival that they've never, ever seen before. Then take us. That's okay. But it's all in God's timing, so I can't control that. Verse 10. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Jesus commanded him to leave, and he had to. We put up with so much more from the devil than we have to. Don't we? 
We just sit there and we let him put all this stuff in our mind and we keep doing all this other kind of stuff. When all we have to say is in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And he has to go. And when we're weak and when we're struggling and all these things that are going on and we put it up with enough. Enough is enough. And that's what Jesus said. I've had enough of you. Get out of here. And we need to do that. We need to say, I've had enough of you, Satan. Get out of here in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus because that's where our authority and power is. <laughs> it's not, you, you can say, get out of the name of Sandra, and you believe me, you better, better get out the band-aids. <laughs> it won't do you any good. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, there's power. And so we need to quit tolerating the things that we need to do. When Satan is ravaging our families, we need to tell him, bind him, and say, get out of here in the name of Jesus. You leave my family alone. I pray a pledge of protection over them. I plead the blood over their lives. I plead the blood over, their, over them, Lord, and let no harm come to them. We need to start doing this. We don't do this anymore. Why? Because the devil tells us, well, it's not for today. That's just what they did then. You know, if you say, get out of here, Satan, people's going to look at you funny. Well, let them look at me funny. I don't care. I'd rather have people looking at me funny than the devil jab, keep jabbing me with a stick. Because that's what he does. He just jabs us and jabs us and jabs us. And all we're doing is saying, ow, instead of saying, get out of here. I wouldn't tolerate somebody doing that to me physically, would I? No. I wouldn't. Trust me, I wouldn't. If somebody wants to jab me with a stick, you might get by once and say, I'm sorry. You know, you jab me with that. They jab me again. <laughs> then I'll pray through when I get home. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'd do. But we wouldn't put up with it. And we don't need to put up with the devil. And then afterwards, after it was all over with, and after the devil left him, then angels came and ministered to him. Hallelujah, that was a great time. And you know what? When I went through times in wilderness in my life and went through times of testing and trial, you know what? God comes and visit, ministers to us too. And angels, I've had angels minister to me. And some of you are sitting right here this morning. Angels that come and encourage you and tell you, hey, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it through this. You know, God's going to make you stronger, encouraging you, or, or they pray for you. Those are the angels. They may have, we might have other angels, too, that we don't know about because it says we attend angels unaware. But we have angels that come and minister to us. That's why it's so important to have a body of Christ that you can come to so when you're going through a time of testing and a time of trial, we don't have to go through it alone. We have Jesus to help us go through it. We have the Holy Spirit to indwell us and help us walk in strength. And that's what we need to do. And that's what God wants us to do. So if you're in the valley of temptation this morning, guess what? There's coming a high time. The angels pretty soon will be commissioned to come down and minister to you. And then you're going to say, wow, thanks. I'm stronger now than I was before. I may have been wondering at the time I was going through it, but I'm stronger now because my vision and my focus is clear. And I'm going to keep my mind focused on Jesus. And when we do that, then we can go through the temptations. We need to use God's word and use God's strength to go through them. And then we can do it. Then we can have success. Because Jesus knew at that time that was just the beginning. And he knew that, there was a, that, Jesus, that Satan would return. It wasn't just this time, that was it, and we kick him out and all, it's over with. No. He left for a short time. And when Satan leaves us, it's going to be for a short time, but he's going to come back. But guess what? He's overcome the world. And we don't need to worry about it. If I want to go to, to an address at a place that I've never been before and I have a choice, I'd like to take somebody with me that's already been there. 
so I don't have to make all the wrong turns and go down all these other roads that I don't need to. Take somebody with me to be able to lead me right to that right, right address. And God's already been there. Jesus has already been there. And when he wants to lead us and be able to guide us through these times of temptation and trial. And that's what he did because he knew that down the road, he knew that pretty soon there was going to be a cross. And this morning we're, gonna, we're going to uh, take communion to remember that time. And it wasn't, we always think about communion to remember his death. And we do. But it's victory. It's a time of victory. It's not only victory over, over sin, it's a victory over death. And it's a victory over our, our Jesus bringing us out of bondage of this world into a new life. That's what victory, the victory is. So we not only remember his death, because we remember it's a victory time. And Jesus, when he looked forward, sure, he's seen the cross, and, and that part of his life he didn't look forward to, but he looked forward to beyond the cross. And he looked forward to the victory that he was going to give each one of us. And that's what we want to celebrate this morning. That's what we want to celebrate. So if the 